I'm Derek Duncan, architecture editor at Golf Digest, and you're listening to the Feed the Ball podcast. This is episode 76, and it's something of a special edition because we're going to be talking about a single subject with my guest, Mike O'Connor, who has a unique insight into the topic at hand. He has possibly the most in-depth knowledge of it and how it came to be of anyone alive today. When we pause to consider some of the world's most sensational, ambitious, radical, and maybe even expensive golf construction projects, a roster of courses spring first to mind. C.B. McDonald's Lido, risen in 1914 on sand out of marshland on Long Island. McDonald and Rayner's Yale, blasted out of the rocky earth of New Haven. Robert Trent Jones crushing fields of lava stone at Mount Ikea and spreading it across the site as volcanic subsoil. Tom Fazio and Steve Wynn's Shadow Creek, where they gouged inclined pine-lined slopes and mountain streams into the desert floor of Las Vegas, and the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail, where Roger Rulwich and Bobby Vaughn hammered out the trail's first eight courses in just two years. The Straits course at Whistling Straits, however, almost gets overlooked as an engineering feat. By now it's well known that Herb Kohler asked Pete Dye to build him a Lynx-inspired course, and that the land they began with was as flat and featureless as a Nebraska highway. But the degree to which the land was altered to resemble something bumpy and rumbly and Irish, offering panoramas of Lake Michigan on nearly every hole, is often just a footnote. Perhaps there's too much to discuss about how difficult the course can be, how many bunkers there are, or even whether it's lovable or not. And truth is, a majority of golfers who play there probably assumed the land was like that to begin with, and Dye just came along and put a golf course on it. But Whistling Straits is a creative marvel, an ingenious piece of imagination and industry that has no real corollary in golf, although Kings Barnes, near St. Andrews, utilize the same terracing technique, but on a lower profile. As popular and recognizable as Whistling Straits is, however, it occurred to me that I'd never heard much about how it was made. There are no good stories associated with its construction like there are for TPC Sawgrass, Harbor Town, the Ocean Course, or PGA West. Maybe I was just out to lunch in the late 90s, and I probably was, but the course seemed to have materialized magically and was suddenly just there. Maybe we take it for granted. We're well accustomed by now to hear about the quote-unquote die family tree and all the protégés who worked under him and later continued on in the design field. Bill Coor, Bobby Weed, Tom Doak, Jim Urbina, Lee Schmidt, Rod Whitman, Tim Liddy, and others. But all of these names, with the exception of Liddy, were out on their own by the end of the 1980s. Who were all the people that ran jobs for Die in the 1990s and 2000s at places like Whistling Straits? Chris Lutsky was one. He was a young lad on the Black Wolf Run build and later very involved with Whistling Straits, and he's now busy running his own company. He recently completed the Baths course at Black Wolf, a dreamy 10-hole jaunt of par 3 holes modeled after the most recognizable short holes in the UK. I recently called Lutsky to ask about building Whistling Straits. We chatted for a bit, and then he told me to call Mike O'Connor, since Mike was Dye's project manager and the main man on site for the duration of the construction. O'Connor started working with Dye in the 1980s and stayed with him for over 25 years, running numerous jobs in different countries. He's the kind of person you could tell Dye would want around. Hyper-competent, hard-working, no-nonsense and no headaches, no prima donna. Though you probably haven't heard his name before, there's a reason for that. He was working and getting things done, just the way Dye would have liked it. O'Connor's a dirt guy. When I contacted him, he couldn't wait to talk about Pete and Whistling Straits. If there's any way I can help you honor such a man, I would love to do so, he said. O'Connor is still in the construction business and is currently working with Corin Crenshaw in South Florida on the site of the second course at MacArthur Golf Club. 
as you'll soon understand, as modest as he is, he's as connected to the dyes and to Whistling Straits as anyone. In this wonderful talk, he gets into the mindset of Dye and Herb Kohler, talks about the ins and outs of Whistling Straits, and shares his experiences and some previously unheard stories about Pete, Herb, and the build. To me, Pete Dye will always be one of the two or three most consequential architects of the last 60 years. And it amazes me that we're still learning about him and his work in spite of his outsized popularity. I hope this conversation with Mike O'Connor adds to the respect and important volume of knowledge we have about him. Here's me and Mike O'Connor talking about Whistling Straits. I've been blessed, Derek. Um, I started working with Pete out of college in 86, and I basically have gone from job site to job site. I uh, did have a home temper, you know, for probably six, seven years. I raised my children in, in Celebration, Florida, but yeah, I've mostly, mostly gone from job to job. I, I love it. I feel so 1986, blessed. that's, wow, that's, that's a yeah. long time. And you I, were with Pete the whole time after that, right? Yeah, I, I started with him. I um, uh, left school and moved to uh, Texas. And I, it's, uh, this is a great story too, because, but anyway, I moved to Texas and I met uh, uh, Dick Cootie. Dick Cootie was the, the golf club repair man at Fairway Oaks. And his, his son was Charles Cootie, who um, I don't know how old you are, but no, Charles I know he's Co- the Masters champion. He's actually yeah. got uh, two grandsons now who play for the University of Texas, who are, you know, some of the top amateur players in the country. Yes, and they and so let me. I got to tell you this quick story. No, then go I'm ahead. Go back to, so, anyways, Dick knew that you know I was in maintenance and I just need something else. And long story short, uh, that was when the stadium course was just being finished. And they had, you know, he was on golf and he was all over it. He goes, and, and Mike says, Mike, uh, excuse me, Dick uh, Cootie said, Mike, what do you want to do? And I said, I see that guy, Pete Dye. I'd love to go work for him. And two weeks later, he called me and it was called me down to the shop, grabbed my hand, brought me up to Charles's office. And Charles called out to uh, Ernie Vossler and Joe Walser because they started Landmark Land. And I went out to Landmark Land and eight months later, I met Pete and um, we rebuilt, uh, we rebuilt the, the first time I, I worked with Pete, I worked on the 12th, excuse me, the 10th hole at the citrus course. And we built the green. We spent 12 hours building the green. He says, listen, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. He goes, but I want you to go work. Now you got a general idea of what I'm trying to do. I'm going to take you to the next two holes and, and, um, show you what I want. He says, now, listen, he goes, don't leave. I'll be back. It might get be, start to get dark, but I will come back. So, okay. So. He showed me what he wanted and he left. He came back the next night. It was getting close to being dark, but I was still there. I had the Smith Co. and a rake and a shovel. And and uh, he came back and he looked at the 11th hole. And then he uh, he didn't say anything. And I thought, oh, man, I must have really messed up. Yeah. And then he says, okay, that's that. He was work on the, 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 the last one, the second one. I said, yes, sir. He said, let's go take a look. And uh, he gets out of the car and he looks at it and he looks at me and he goes, you understood what I was talking about, didn't you? And I said, you know what? And then I was, you know, I'm 23 years old. I'm a kid. I said, Mr. Die, I said, I can't explain it to you, but I saw exactly what you were looking for. <laughs> yeah. 
and that was it. So fast forward, what, 35, 38 years later, I go to the Walker Cub and I sit down to eat lunch and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the, at the uh, uh, program. Where are we at? Where, which wa- uh, Walker Cup? Sorry. sorry. So now we're down. So I'm in hometown. So it's the one this, this year's Walker Cup. Oh, this Cup year. That, it's Seminole. It's Seminole. It's Seminole. So Derek, I go, I walk. Uh, so I'm in there. I sit down, look at the program. I said, man, that's a cootie in there. I said, I wonder if it's any relation. Anyways, I grab my lunch and I come and sit down. And who's in the next table over but Charles Cootie? So I go up, I walk over and I'm in tears. I'm, I'm a pretty emotional guy. And I, I said, Mr. And I'm starting, you know, I'm cheering up. I'm saying, Mr. Cootie, I said, yeah, I know you don't remember me, but my name's Michael O'Connor and I worked out at Fairway Oaks and your dad helped me get started in this business. And I've been blessed. I've worked for all kinds of golf course architects. I've managed their jobs and I've, it's, it's been just an un- incredible, incredible journey. And to be able to sit down and tell you, thank you. I just want to let you know that. Wow. He, oh yeah. And his wife was there and she stuck cause I'm balling. I'm tearing up now. I'm tearing up just telling the story and then she started to tear up and it was just, it just, you know, it was just unbelievable. What a but, nice so, way yeah, to close that circle. Oh my God. And, you know, and it took, and you think about it, Derek, I mean, that's what, third, whatever it is, 86 to whatever we are mm-hmm. now, almost 35, 36 years. Yeah. And how blessed, how blessed to be able to do that. No kidding. You know, and, 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 and for me, it's, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm tickled that I, I look at it that way. How did Cootie know Pete Dye? Um, he didn't. He knew Ernie. So Landmark Land. Oh, to Landmark, yeah, okay. Ernie and Joe. Ernie and Joe started Landmark Land. So uh, that's who they got me out with, Landmark Land, which you, I don't know if you know Lee Schmidt. Yeah. Um, but Lee Schmidt was the first. So I went out, and that's who I worked for was Lee Schmidt. Uh, out at uh, Landmark Land, out at PJ West, because it was all Landmark. There was Landmark Land, and so I met Lee, and then, you know, Lee put me on. He said, you know, I was I just happened to be the – one of the college students that, that, that toughed it out. What was you your know, experience was, at that point? Were you, were you working construction? Did you, what did you know about golf? No, I had, I was all in maintenance. I had, I grew up in upstate New York and I had maintained, um, I had a golf course called Tuscarora. And, mm-hmm. um, so I worked on that and then I went to school to the university of Massachusetts and studied, you know, agronomy, the plant and soil science. And then when I got out, um, you know, back in those days, this is 80, one or 82, um, 83, I think it was, but they said, you know, what, where do you want to go? I said, I want to go the furthest place away. And that, that's how I got, I moved, got to Texas <laughs> and I met the met cooties. And then, um, um, yeah. And it's just, it, I'm just so blessed there. I can't just, and to work with Pete, it was once in a lifetime, once so, in 10 lifetimes. I bet. I bet. Now, so your first kind of real job working with Pete was at PJ West. Yes, was building the greens at the Citrus Course. Yeah. Now yeah. the the Citrus Course, which one is that? You know, I don't know what they may have changed names because at the time it was in that orange grove out there. But it wasn't the stadium course. No, it wasn't the stadium. No, no. Because no, that stadium. I guess that opened in '86. Uh, no, I played the stadium when I was there. So the stadium, I want again. I'm just guessing here. It must have opened in, oh, I guess that was. 80, I maybe 85, 86. That's right. 85, yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay. You're right. Yep. So there's a citrus course then, with and working yeah. under Lee Schmidt. Under, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, give, yeah. Me a, give me a quick, well, first of all, what, what is your, well, I mean, I don't know if you worked this way with, with, with Pete and his company, but what was your, did you have like an official title or, you know, what was the Well, the Pete, status? we were entitled, but I, I managed the jobs for him. Yeah, you like know, construction Pete. site manager. Right. And Pete was, 
you know, I don't know. It's a little different right now. I'm working for uh, Coor Crenshaw on one of their projects. Um, but Pete, Pete was a little bit different. He was more old school. He just said, you know, I'll design your golf course, but you know, Mike's going to build it mm-hmm. or whoever, or whoever. And we had a, we had a, 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 a small crew and we would go around and he never had too many golf courses going on at one time. Um, now, did did he have cool. sort of like uh, parallel crews? Like you would have one crew on one project and he'd have like a, a clone of you on another project. Um, yeah, there was always somebody else. So, you know, I don't know if you talked with Chris, Chris, yeah. Chris stuff later on. Chris was pretty young at the time and went out and was, was doing other things. He kind of came in and out with us. Scott Poole was there and Jason McCoy, who does everything for Greg Norman, um, was with Pete for, for six years. But yeah, yes. To answer your question, yes. Um, but, but from there, I went to the Dominican Republic. I don't know if you've ever- Was that the die four course? No. It, so this, so this is now here we go. So this is 86 uh-huh. still in that season of 86, 85. I can't. And, Went down there and Golf and Western had just sold it and the Van Pools bought it out and he wanted a, a, a golf course where he could go and play. And so I built La Romana Country Club. Oh, that's right. The La Romana. Yeah. 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 So I did that and, and Pete did not. So um, probably my, if, if I were to sit down and somebody asked me the best one that I, that my, my favorite would, that would be that because Pete at the time was building, um, uh, the ocean course, you know, cause yeah. they're getting ready for that. So, yeah. so he, that took almost all of his attention, I'm sure. All his, well, he moved there. So I wouldn't actually, I flew up there because things were going so, and I did a lot of the greens out there, but, um, but yeah, they made very few visits. And one time they were walking the site and, 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 and um, Alice who was, um, I don't know how well have you ever met Alice, but she was, um, she was a tough cookie, but a fair cookie. And, and she turned around and she says, Mike, she goes, you know, we're going to, we're going to put your name on this because we haven't been here that much. Not that it ever did, but it just, for her to say that was, was pretty cool. It was really cool. But, it, you know, here I am, I'm 23. I don't know anything, but, but I, but you know what, Derek, I was so blessed to he, you know, Pete could, Pete could tell me what he showed me, what, you know, we were talking about it and I could see it. I don't, I don't ask me why I just, it's been pretty, pretty blessed, but yeah, it was special. He was just a special, special human being. And he put so much time and effort into it. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. It's really cool. I wonder if you can expand on that a little bit. Cause I talked to a lot of people who, who knew Pete, who worked with Pete and it's, it's, it never fails to amaze me the the loyalty that he inspired and the devotion and the care and the love that he spread around to everybody. It's, it's, there's, you won't find anybody who doesn't express those emotions. What was it about Pete that inspired that, that level of, of affection? I think, well, he treated everybody the way he wanted to be treated, you know, the old, you know, the old be polite, open door, stand up when people walk in. That was Pete and, and Alice. Alice had a lot to do with it, <laughs> um, but he was just, and he, it didn't matter where he was, you know, we, we flew in on private planes all over the place and he would always go down and, and, and shake the hands of the guy picking up the bags or that brought the car and, you know, if they wanted an autograph or take a picture, he just was always, you know, he was, he was that local, you know, goes back to his roots, you know, Urbano, Ohio. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and, but just, uh, and, and, and he could, he treated everybody the way they wanted to be treated, you know, and made everybody feel special, whether it was the guy digging the ditch or, or me that was running the job, 
Um, yeah, I hear that yeah. a lot. It, 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 there'll be different stories about where Pete's on a job site and he'll, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> and Bobby Weed would tell a funny story too, like when they were building Long Cove, how <laughs> they were trying to get something right. And Pete would go to this guy who was just like a labor guy that they, they found on Hilton Head Island who didn't know anything about golf. And he would go over and ask him, you know, what he thought about this shape or this feature or how to grade this road. And, you know, he would just in, elicit information or involvement from anybody who was there. Like he was very just open and, and amenable to, to all things. Well, to expand on what you just said, we were many times, even when we did whistling straights, we would take just some local guys in Eagles. And we hear, he said, I heard him say it once, heard him say it a hundred times. He would say, listen, just find a local guy because the local guy, sometimes these shapers nowadays, you get these shapers and they have a tendency to, you know, kind of do their, their thing. Mm -hmm. And he always enjoyed getting somebody a little bit different. That's never done it because he would always have the possibility, not that it always worked out this way, but a lot of times they would do something that you would never think of. And they knew nothing about it. That was his reason for doing all that. He loved that. Yeah. And it worked out more times than not. Yeah. Yeah. Did that describe you a little bit, you know, you coming in with, I mean, you worked on maintenance crews, but, you know, as far as designing and shaping greens, did you have come in with I- your own ideas or was it just no, something no, that you brought a fresh no, perspective? Not at all. Not at all. I, I had never done construction before. So I was just putting in railroad ties. You know, I was green. I had to, you know, was just, and I saw it. I can't describe it, but I I, I saw it when he spoke well, what he was looking for. I, I could see it. Mm-hmm. And Pete, Pete always saw the finished product. He always saw it, you know, um, and I'm not so sure there's a lot of guys out there that see that. I, at least in, I've, um, he was, he was different that way. You could see it. He had a great vision, great vision. Um, and he worked, you know, and that's the great thing about working with Pete. I had opportunities to go out on my own, but I had no desire. I, I, I loved working with Pete. I, I just, for, for what, why, why would I do anything else? I don't, it was just always such a, it was, you know, look at the courses we built. You know, we did the ocean course and we did, you know, Whistling Straits and Carlton River and, and working with great owners, you know. And, and that was one thing special about Whistling Straits was Herb Kohler, you know, and the Kohler family. He, Pete, Pete was really tight with Herb, more, more than people know. Early on, it wasn't, but they built a great friendship. And he always said, always said Herb was a man's man, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and uh, so, yeah. Was, her, was, was Kohler a kind of an intimidating figure well okay so and this is he seems a great like story. <laughs> oh no not at all so you got to understand here i'm so i'm down in the dominican republic and this is exactly how it went pete said i don't know if you ever went down there when pete was alive have you ever been to the dominican no oh so pete had his house on the seventh hole to teeth the dog and when i'm down there in the dominican part of my job with building the golf course which, by the way, was done with 300 men and 12 oxen. I got pictures that would blow you away. It took us seven years. It'd blow you away. But anyway, <laughs> and so, um, so we're down there, and, and and so my job was taking care of Pete Nellis's home, and they're down there one Christmas, and they said, uh, Pete says, "Listen, Mike," he goes, um, "I got a guy that I'm building a golf course for up in Wisconsin, and he's coming in, and he's got some kids that are your age." He goes, "You you, you need to take the next two weeks and just." Take care of them. I said, okay. And so where are they staying? Well, they're staying next door, which is close to Verity Nine. So okay. And I said, I said, what's he do? He just said, oh, he's just a plumber. He's a plumber. <laughs> really? I said, okay. 
And I said, so what, what air, what airline are they coming in? on? Oh no, he's got his own plane. I said, well, he must be a pretty good plumber. <laughs> so long story short. So I go to the airport, I pick up Herb, Natalie, David, Laura, and Rachel. And, um, I spent two weeks with them and I did that for five years straight. So, you know, I'm a young kid and I, and her, it become her and their family just becomes friends. I mean, good friends. And, um, and I never realized that when all this happened, Derek, but when we started whistling straights and I moved there, um, we were still doing permitting and stuff and I couldn't, didn't find a house. I, he put me up in the American club and you've got to know her to understand the story. He put, he let me stay uh, there. I stayed there for three months till I found a home. And it was, I, I, I never thought about it till, till years later, but how, how awesome was that? Because it just, you know, but that was her, but we, you know, he, he respected me because I, I took care of him. So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I, I looked at building whistling, not just, so I was double blessed there because I was doing it, not just for Pete Dye, but I was doing it for Herb Kohler and Herb, Herb was as good a friend as, as, as Pete was. Um, it became very close. And, and um, so we're a couple stories with building a whistling straights. We're, we're out there and we're working, I don't know, maybe the first six months and we became Kohler employees. We, we didn't work on our own. We just became Kohler employees. So I get, when Pete and I were out there walking around and um, I get called down to the office. I said, Pete, I got to go to, you know, I got to go down to the office. What for? I said, I don't know. So I, I walk, so walk into the door and there is an attorney and two of their, as Pete would call them, bean counters, mm-hmm. two accountants. And they're sitting at the table with a stack of my time cards. And I'm just, you know, once again, maybe, I don't know, I'm 30 something then, but I'm looking at it. And I said, what? I said, what's up? And I said, are these, these are all your time cards, right? I said, yes, sir. Yeah. I said, well, we, I said, why? He goes, well, well, these, these hours can't be right. And I, well, what, let me see them. What, what do they say? Well, they're, they're saying, you know, you're averaging 91, 92, 93 hours a week. And I said, yeah, that's, that's about right. And, you know, I'm sitting there kind of going, well, we don't believe you. And it blew me away because I was like, what? And I'm like, holy shit. I said, I, and then I'm, I'm getting, once again, Derek, I get emotional again. And I'm saying, I don't, I don't understand. Why, why would I, as it hurts my friend, of course, of course, I'm too naive to understand that it is corporate America. And I'm the new kid on the block. And I'm, you know. Yeah, and, well, you, uh, you have this direct line to the top that nobody the else does. And they, don't, and they don't like it. They don't like it at all. So, but anyways, this is a great story. So I'm standing there and, and, and I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm getting emotional. I'm, and, I don't, and all of a sudden the door opens up and it's heard. And don't ask me how, I don't know, but, but, and he says, and I just started going off. I said, Herb, they think I'm stealing from you, Herb. They think, and I'm just, I mean, I'm getting emotional. I'm, I'm, I'm babbling on, I'm tearing up again. And he says, Michael, stop, stop. He, said, <laughs> he, he goes, he goes, Michael, he goes, you go out and build me the best damn golf course you can. And he says, the next time anybody from this company, my company calls you, you call me. And I start walking out the door and Herb said, and Michael, do me a favor, close the door behind you. Uh-oh. <laughs> Some strange noises came out of the again. office. <laughs> Never had a problem again. But but that was so but but my story is and, and Derek, it is a two-sided story. It's the 91 hours. Those 91 hours never felt like 91 hours to us. 
you know, it just, it wasn't, it was just, you had such, I couldn't wait to get out there in the morning, you know, and I couldn't wait to, to, and if Pete wasn't there, he wanted to get enough done to, to, for him to see it. And once again, with her to make, you know, so to do something for her and, and, um, yeah, it was, it was just, it was, it was incredible. incredible. Let's, and, let's dig d- into that a little bit. First of all, I, I had heard, I think even Collard said this at one point, that Pete was not the first designer that he hired to build Whistling Straits. Do you know who the other, he mentioned two people. Uh, do you know who the, uh, he approached about that first? I know that they had looked, and that I don't know. Um, they had, because Pete had already done the 36 holes in... in um, at Black Wolf. In Black Wolf. Yeah. But I do know that they had talked and interviewed other people, but they were... After they talked to him, it was it was just there's no sense in going anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I and, and I know for a fact that was Pete was most proud of. I mean, he did you know four golf courses in Kohler. He did what six in the Dominican Republic. He did a, a bunch for Landmark Land. You know that he was very proud to get do all those different golf courses. You know for one owner. So, um, but no, to ask your question, no, and I don't. And I think it was they just went through the routine of it. I don't think it was anybody they were. Um, I had somebody that one of the guys in the company said it was just, just to get an idea, see what somebody else is. Yeah. Yeah. Now I couldn't tell you, I don't know. Tell me about the initial concept of whistling straights. Um, did the idea to build in sort of an Irish style links course, did that come from, from Herb Kohler? Was that a collaboration of ideas between he and Pete being a fly on the wall? What did you observe or, or hear about that? Oh, that was all Herb. Herb spent Herb, Herb sent me. Herb sent me. I spent two, two, three weeks. And Herb sent me to Scotland and Ireland. He goes, I want a true link style golf course. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it was all Herb. Herb was was very instrumental in, in, in a lot of that, and he that's what he wanted. He you know and, and Herb loved going over. Loved loved the elements. You know, loved the elements of the wind and the rain, and it's you know it's part of the golf. Yeah. Um, and I and I think if Pete were alive today, that's the one thing he would wish for. Kind of like you had at the PJs, you had the wind blow a little bit, so it, it did start messing with the players a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not maybe be wrong on this, but um, whistling straights, and they've had a bunch of majors up there, and it's always been calm and and um, it hasn't tested them the true test. So I'm, I really hope that the that the Ryder Cup, at least the wind blows. Yeah, I just know, watched like, the. Um... Of, or the final round of the 2004 PGA Championship, and it was calm for three days. And then on Sunday, the wind really kicked up, and the leaders, uh, Justin Leonard and, and Vijay Singh, were they shot like 76 and 75 on Sunday, and they fell back yeah. under to yeah. back to like eight yeah. minus eight was the got in the playoff. And they started the day at like oh, minus wow. 12. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, see, I didn't remember that. Good, that's good on you. Yeah, yeah. see, that's pretty cool. I hope if it happens, you know, for up there for the. Yeah, but, yeah, you you want to yeah, 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 you want to see that that links weather. Yeah. Now, yeah. W- w- the first time you go out to that property, it's you know what what are you thinking? Are you you know your your job is to transform this into an Irish style links golf course? But describe the property and what's going through your mind as you think about the task ahead. The first time we walked, it was just Pete and I. It was just a clear, sunny Saturday. Uh, morning and we spent the whole afternoon and it was a dead flat piece of ground. Uh, that's another thing, Derek, I've got pictures of, of that. And, and, um, 
it was just a dead flat piece of ground. It, there was one bunker, bunker as in military bunker, where they used to shoot the drones out of it, <laughs> which I have pictures of. Um, and the mortar shells, there were some empty mortar shells, but there was one live one. I can tell you that story a little bit later on, but or whenever. Um, and it was just well, let's, co- let's cover that now. I want to hear about that. Okay, so we're out there. We're taking the bunker apart. And we're taking the bunker. And I've done none of these stories. I don't know if anybody's even heard these stories. We're taking the bunker apart. And we find what we think is, you know, a mortar shell. So it's, I don't know, stands maybe just under three feet tall and probably you know, four to six inches around. <laughs> so we just think it's empty. And, and mm. so we, we had it, we put, we put it in one of the guys that worked with us in the back of his truck. So he's driving around, which is a, a mortar shell. <laughs> and he was, so we're all Kohler employees. He's this guy stayed in Kohler. So he um, got in one that, that night and it might've been the next day. I don't, I can't recall but he got tired of it rolling around in the back of his truck. So he took it and put it in the basement. Well, he called Kohler to come fix the, the washing machine. And they see, see the, the, the live shell. I get phone calls, the police. So the police are going down there. They block, they, they evacuate the, within a half mile of the house. They bring in the bomb squad. They take the, the mortar shell out and they go to a local dump. And they set it off and they said that it blew out all, all the windows and the, the cop cars that escorted the bomb squad out there. So it's this guy just had this in the back of his truck thing. rolling around. Yes. Can you imagine? Thank God. Can you imagine? Oh, oh my no. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was a dead flat piece of ground yeah. and, and we walked it with Pete and, and, um, and I once, and once he, once we talked and he, he and those are the times I remember the most is being alone when there's nobody there and, and you can just, just let it all go. You know, you can talk about everything and up, you know, holes up, holes down, right to left, left, to right. You know, your green sitting in right to left or left to right and whole set up, you know, long horn, short horn. And, you know, those were the things were great. And he, you know, he just. So he was out there walking this, this, farmland and, and part of it's an, an old army air base and and pete is yeah. envisioning the holes that he's going to build oh yeah 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 it was just and i've got sketches um derek and i've got in fact i, I, I put a whole collection together um i always had saved all those sketches that pete always did throughout the years and i did contact her and send him a video so when i go up for the Ryder cup i'm gonna bring them all that because it's, it, I feel, you know, it's where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. No doubt, but it's just cool sketch. It's a picture of, uh, um, and you know what, I'll take a picture. And in fact, if I can, I'll get about take the, but and show you, it's really cool. Yes. And one's the whole, the whole front side of, of, uh, whistling straights. And I have, a uh, two pages of, uh, yellow legal pad where he, he wrote down what he envisioned on all those holes. And then he signed it and he dated it and just, just, I mean, to me, it's really cool stuff. And, um, just classic Pete, you know, and sketches of the different greens and how, and how the originally, how, you know, all the, the routing and how he envisioned it and make it, you know, so you, you know, you get two holes playing, you know, 
north and two holes playing south on the back side, and then the same thing on the north side, and you know, just balancing it all out. It was just, it was cool. How was close cool. did the final product come to those initial drawings that you know, or those oh, initial yeah. conversations when you were walking with them on the site? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're pretty much um, with the exception. The only, the biggest thing that never happened, and it just was getting people around, was um, originally we wanted to make the 11th green and the 15th green, a double green. Mm -hmm. And Herb really wanted it as did Pete, but it just didn't work. You needed to get the road through there. Right. Yeah. We had trails and had maintenance and, you know, it's just, there was, you know, now with all these tournaments and all. So it was the one thing that, you know, didn't happen, but, uh, Surprised they didn't build a tunnel under the greens. You know, I was just sitting here and I never thought about it till just talking with you, Darkest geez, you know, Surprised her when never thought we could build a tunnel. <laughs> that's, a, that's absolutely right. Maybe put, let's put, uh, <laughs> ask Mr. Kohler, put that on the to-do list. That's not too late. You want to know something? I, gu- I bet I guarantee if he liked it, he'd do it. Yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. I could see that working. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're walking the land and it's, it's it, as we've said, it's, there's nothing there. Now, was there ever a, a, a concept of just sort of building the golf course on top of the land, you know, creating dunes and some bumpy fairways? Was that the part of the initial plan, or was it all? Did Pete get it no, right away that he had to no. cut into the earth and Always create layers? Oh, Herb was Herb was. He was I want to be on the water. Yeah, you know, we, we we did the eighth hole, um, and Herb stopped out there once every. Of course, we move in a lot of dirt, so it takes a little while to move all that dirt. But he, he was out there every, I'd say, once every four weeks, five weeks. Herb would come out, and and one one time in particular, Pete. I just left and we had just finished the eighth fairway and uh, Herb came driving out in his car and, uh, and he says, he goes, Michael, what, what did Pete say? And it's no, he said, it's, we're good, Herb. We're going to start draining the air again. He goes, no, don't do that. He goes, Michael, I told you I wanted this fairway down. He goes, I, I, you take it, take it down 10 more feet. <laughs> and, uh, and so I called Pete and he says, we'll do it. Go ahead. That's fine. That's what we did. So yeah, we always, always wanted, I mean, you know, all those, I'm trying to think. The, have, you, have you been out there, There. Yeah, absolutely. Several times. I was just there a few weeks ago. So I would say the closest piece of ground that was closest to original, and I haven't been out there and I couldn't tell you how many years, 10, 15 anyways. Um, at the time we built it was 17T. 17T was the original, as close as you could get to the original ground that was flat the whole way. Um, if that gives you any good idea. I mean, um, So the, all those holes he, that sit above 17, that, that's that's all fill, or you're taking that from someplace else and oh, yes. piling it up? Mountain. All the contourings were all done in clay, and then we built, uh, we brought in all the sand. You know? Yeah. You get out there, and it's so interesting that you really can't tell where the natural grade is you know you come in through the the parking lot of the entrance and that's natural grade but by the time you're on the golf course it, it, it operates on so many different planes and then and they're not level they're they're heaving and, and moving and dunesy that you, you really don't know what the elevations are you just kind of are concentrating yeah. on the hole that you're on and then you look around and you see uh, some higher ground and you look below you over the edge and you see some holes down there it's it's just a fascinating concept that I, I I don't I I have a hard time envisioning how obviously I do but how Die could have come up with that. 
so th- this leads me to my, you know, a fundamental question about this project is, you know, the, Pete is always known for kind of riffing in the field and not having, you know, technical plans. He didn't work that way. He improvised. But when you're starting to make these cuts and you're starting to work this land, do you have any kind of grading plan or, or, or blueprints or, or how are you making these, these decisions? He had, I will send you a picture, Derek, of his routing plan that he sketched out. Um, but he basically, that was it. We had a routing plan. We knew that we didn't want to see the other holes. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, 13 and 14, they both paid parallel, but he didn't want to, you know, mm-hmm. he didn't want to, to see them. So we knew how, how wide the fairway needed to be. So we basically, um, so we would start up top and we would just cut down uh, with the trucks and, you know, would go down, you know, I guess the experiment was going down six or eight feet at a time. And then we'd come back and take the the edge that was towards the lake. And then um, and we just kept doing it and piling up dirt till we thought we had the, and I'm just saying just because the 13, 14, that we had 13 down far enough mm-hmm. and the mounds to the left of the hole up high enough that, you know, you, you would never, never see anybody playing in there. Yeah. Cause uh-huh. 14 is kind of a neat hole. It, it tucks around the corner and then plays, it's almost like yeah, it plays in a valley. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, there'll be spots like 15, you're up there and, you know, you're kind of looking over, which is pretty cool too, you know, and, and, and if you do see them, they're a long ways off, kind of like 11 and, and uh, 16 was. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, a crazy thing too, Derek, I was just thinking when I was watching the golf this weekend. So when I first started working with Pete, we put our, we would always, when we, we, when we, after we, ex- we cleared the land, we would put, you know, post up at the, at the T, the landing area in the green. And when I first started with Pete, they were at 800 feet off from the back T, the landing area, quote unquote, was at 800 feet, 267 yards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that, that was just crazy. How That's much a drive, driving iron for the pros now. Yeah. It's just, and that was, you know, Pete was always adamant. He said the equipment, the equipment and the technology is just, they, he was always big on, he said, he said Augusta should have, should have made a, a tournament ball. He should have done something, mm-hmm. but because, um, but, um, yeah, well, he, but, he yeah, battled that to, more than any architect ever, I, you know, cause there's no other uh, living architect or past architect who built as many courses that he knew we're going to host a, a PGA tour event or yeah. a high level professional event. Well, yeah. And then that, that's why I never wanted to go anywhere else. Why, why would you go work for somebody else? We were so blessed. <laughs> well, and, and there's also like what, a never ending string of work because he, he, he always went absolutely. back and made adjustments to his courses. Absolutely. Nobody touched. And I don't know if you know this, but this year is the, uh, second time in Pete's in Pete's history, the '91 Ryder Cup and the '91 PGA were played at his venues. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, Nin- I, that's right. Crooked Stick and and Ocean Course in '91. And now this year, and now this year, this is uh, the Ocean Course and Whistling Straits. Yeah, I don't. I think that's really. cool. It's pretty remarkable. It's, yeah, no doubt. It is. It is really cool. So the first holes that were built were the, is it safe to say, you mentioned the eighth hole, which is kind of lower and closest to the water. It were those That, that was the first hole you built, and did you start next no, to the shoreline? we started on the north side. We actually started on the north side, so we started on, actually we started on uh, 13. 
Okay. We started from that county road. I think it's LS, and we started to work our way south. Um, that green on on thirteen is really cool. That, actually, thirteen and eight have a lot of similarities. Uh, they're both you know north running par fours that kind of play. They bank around that field of bunkers that tumble down in, into the yeah. water, and then that. But yeah. that green at 13 is really cool because it's a downhill shot and it just kind of slides right into it and then it stops and any if you go over the green which yeah, is right yeah. on the property line i think you're you're in the ocean yeah and when we did now derek uh, so you're there a few weeks ago so when we uh built that golf course we walked we probably had 10 feet of beach eight feet of beach of gravel the water wasn't up that high oh really yeah so we put all the revetment in um, but yeah, it was really cool. But Pete and I walked it. That's so that very, very first day after. So what Pete and I did, we started, um, at the, um, let's see, we pulled out and drive. We probably parked, parked right by the bunkers. The bunkers were right on 16, uh, T area. And we walked the top of the top of the, uh, property all the way up to the North. So that would be the 13 green. And then we went down to the water. And we walked along the water all the way down to, uh, which is what, four, four, four green, right? Four green, five T, and there, there was a gun club there. So we're walking down. This is, I've never told this story. So we're walking down on this gravel, you know, on the lake, and you know, and he, he goes, I said, Pete, how far does this property go? And he goes, Well, there's there's a gun club down there. Because that's why I asked him because I could hurt some some guns off in the distance. And he says, uh, cause yeah, there's a gun club down here. When he says, when we hit the gun club, then that's, that, that's it. And I, Derek, I'm kidding you not. We walked maybe 50 more yards and you could hear the bolts going over our head. Now I'm sure they've fixed that problem since, but we they heard a couple shots. I said, Pete, that's going over here. I think we went too far. <laughs> We've gone. So that, that shot went over our head because they're not supposed to do it. Because there's reporters and everything else. And he goes, he goes, you know, he goes, I think you're right. He goes, that's the second one I heard. So we turned around. And, I think and they're shooting back. at us. <laughs> but they, not purposely. But I never said anything because I was afraid that somebody would get their butt thrown in jail. But I know, I, without a doubt, that's exactly what happened. It came right over our heads. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was the first time. And then we walked, came up to the shoreline and walked up. Um, back up, uh, you know, five, five, eight, and then nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, talk, let's talk about five for a minute. That, that's a hole that to a lot of people, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and, and they're like, what's this, what's this doing here? And for, for listeners who don't, who aren't familiar with the golf course, you know, you play every hole runs North South along the bluffs and you have a, a view of the Lake Michigan and almost entirely the way around the golf course. It's really linksy. And then five, you kind of dip inland and it's this flat hole. That's a double dog leg around these two retention ponds. It's just, it's so right. out of character, but it's kind of a neat hole on its own. But tell me, tell me about that. And what's the purpose of number five? Well, first of all, it was, it was just, you know, Pete's always wanted to just throw an oddball out there. Mm-hmm. You know, on a lot of his golf courses, you know, you, you play, uh, you know, Old Marsh and he's got the, the the blind hole number. Actually, that's a hole number five, too. Now, that was, I believe. Um, but but most of all, we had to we had to mitigate. That was we had it was the first uh, mitigation wetland in the state of Wisconsin. when We did that. We, we had 
disturb maybe a half an acre and we got permission. So we had to, we built those wetlands off to the left of number five. So that's all we recreated. All we was all built. Hmm. Actually, Pete was very proud of that because we did all that ourselves. And, and uh, the environmentalists were just tickled to, to death. They were so pleased at how well it came out. And that was all Pete. That was all Pete. We only went in and we, we scratched it out. And we talked to a bunch of uh, um, experts on certain grasses and birds that would come in with certain grasses and, and, uh, yeah, it was so but that's that's why it's there. That's why it's there. We had to create the wetland. We had to do it uh-huh. a big amount. Had to do the big amount. Something else just popped up in my head too that I, I never told. We at one time were gonna make the seventeenth hole. I went down and talked to a bunch a couple of the engineers at the Shed Aquarium down in Chicago because Pete wanted at one time we were gonna build a huge glass. Um, I don't think we ever presented this to her. We were going to build a huge glass uh, aquarium and make it all water to the left-hand side of 17. So between, so between the green, which hangs over the edge, and, and the, now there yeah. are like these 10 feet tall uh, bulkheads right, over the bunkers, right. you were going to put a glass aquarium there? No, no uh, not an aquarium, but a lake. It would be a lake, but it would, you would see through it. So Pete's idea was... Um, and I've never told this one before either. I just never came up. And I don't know why it just popped in my head. But you would stand there and it would just, just look like water. You would even though you're 20 feet above it or 50 feet or 60 feet above it, it would look like it was all part of the same water mass. Like an elevated That's lake a, that made it look like it was part of Lake Michigan? Yes. That's a part of the... That's a pretty cool idea. Now, I don't know how it would have looked. I mean, we never did it, but yeah. So we're going to, because they have certain graphs. So think about all their aquariums. I mean, they're holding hundreds of pounds of pressure per square inch, you know, for all those animals and all. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Wow. I and mean, said, yeah, as, it, as yeah. interesting as that is in a, as a concept, as an engineering challenge, um, I think it was a good decision to omit that from the final yeah. plans. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love the way it looks. It's really cool. But yeah, but anyway, so well. Speaking um, speaking of seventeen, you know that that area that I just described. To if you miss left of that green, I mean it's 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 not in the water. The balls actually don't go into the water at Whistling Straits. I mean you have to no. hit the most errant shot of your life to get down to, into the water. But if you're down in that area left of seventeen or short and left. I mean, it's you're you're dead. Tell me about the conversations that you would have when you're building these some of these really extreme punishing features in certain places around that course and other courses. What was his viewpoint on that? Well, I think you know with that and and the same with with the ocean course. You know, he, he knows in the back of his mind that the, you know that it's going to be out. That's more so for tournament play. You know, I mean, and the average guy. But even when he did, he always would say. When he did this, oh, the stadium course open and he was getting letters and calls from just average golfers, you know, 18, 19 handicaps and how much they loved it. You know, how much they loved being down in the, in that, was it 16 that had a, what, a 15 or 18 foot long? Oh, yeah, on it? PJ West. Yeah, that is yeah, incredible. PJ West. So, so, I mean, he did, that's what the, the Harden, Harden P would always say. The Harden golfer loves that stuff. Now, they don't do it all the time. But to go out there and play a golf course like that, they want to be tested. Yeah, you almost feel like you're not getting your experience worth or your money's worth if you don't exactly. get to be, you know, if you're not in one of those hazards. As, as crazy as it sounds, absolutely. And they all that's what they all want. And yeah. you see somebody go down there and that's where everybody's taking their picture. That's what they're all talking about. Like what's the fun you when know? you go to TPC Sawgrass and hit 17, you know, you hit your shot right in the middle of the green. It's like. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's not what and I came So I think for. that was. 
Yeah, and I think you know that, and that for most of most part, that that's exactly why he, he did that, mm-hmm. which was. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just cool. an indication of of his 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 genius, really. Like his his he, his understanding of psychology. Not only you know we always apply that to Pete when we think about the way he sets up shots or sets up elevations to kind of, especially for the better player, to kind of get in their head to make them a little uncomfortable and a little uncertain so they can't commit to the shot. That's one kind of psychology, but he obviously knew marketing psychology as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No no, no doubt. No doubt. And, 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 you know, in some of those holes, there wasn't, you, there wasn't too many where you actually plan out over the water, I guess. I guess number three, where it looks like it, you know, where there's no background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even on 15, as you're playing it from your approach shot, um, once again, and there's a, just another perfect example, in my opinion, of how Pete did it, because he didn't want too many like that. Because he goes, Mike, he goes, and my, he goes, and his, he thought that those were the shots that were as hard as for any golfer, because there's nothing, there's no background. There's no background to give them, give them that, uh, yeah. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? There's perspective just, you know, or, or depth exactly, perception. Exactly. Right. There's nothing in behind it. So, mm-hmm. but he didn't want to overdo that either. So, you know, really the only ones that play like that are, is uh, 15 and three the most, I believe. Yeah. It kind of depends on where you're playing from, yeah. though. You can get that yeah. on a lot of holes. Like the, you know, if, if you're coming in on your third shot from the, the right of the second hole, par five, that green just well, kind of you know right. hangs That's out right. on the edge. And you get that in a few That's places right. where, yeah, the, the green yeah. just looks naked. Yes. And it's hard. It's tough to get your perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. Just hanging over the edge. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, one of the things I always think about whistling straights is obviously it's, it's visually dynamic and, and breathtaking in so many places and in so many ways, but it also, those par threes are really interesting. They're very similar in a lot of ways, but they all kind of have their unique aspect to them too. Like when you really get down and study them and the size and orientation of the greens, it's a, it's pretty, it's a pretty remarkable feat to take three similar par three holes they're all, you know, two go north, two go south. They're all benched into the into the bluff, and yet make them kind of have their own character each. I thought that was that. That's a really that's a neat trick. Well, I didn't think about you know. I've never thought about it. you. Just said that, Derek. Yeah, that that is that is true. And and you know why I think they work it, for for most of the people because they're big greens. You know, so even the average guy can go out and. But they are different. They are different. You know. And then you know, then you got seven that sits down low. Yep. Yeah, I never, I never thought about that. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I twelve is my favorite, maybe my favorite hole out there. It's just uh, you know, I like the idea of it. It's a short par three. You know, you might if you go back a tee, you might be hitting a hundred and sixty yard shot, but the green is so long and and, and yeah. angled, and the farther back you get, the smaller it gets. And there's that little back right section. That's, you know, it's, it's like you're hitting to like a king size bed. <laughs> That's yeah. where you have to drop this shot in. And if you miss it, you're, you're cooked if you miss it anywhere. So you, so then if you play kind of safe to the middle, now you've got these big contours of putts, putting contours you yeah. have to come over. It's, that, it's just such an elastic hole. Yeah. And I, and I, I believe that that one little part on the edge was added afterwards. I don't, I don't think that was originally. But yeah, it is. It is pretty cool. 
You know what? When yeah. I was watching the the 2004 PGA, I noticed the 18th hole, and I'd love to get your thoughts on the 18th hole. That's just such a strange hole. Is that little uh, alley of fairway now to the left? You know, you hit your drive out to the to the main fairway, and then ideal if you hit the fairway, you kind of come into the green from the right. But now there's a little snaking fairway that goes down to the left toward the creek. But that wasn't right. there originally, was it? Um, there was. I can't. Gosh, like I said, it's been so long since I haven't even. It seen looked it. like in the in two thousand four that there was no fairway there. It looked like it was all just tall grass. Yeah, that may have been because once again, okay, so now eighteen Herb, Herb, um, and Pete. You know, we wanted the view from the clubhouse, looking down eighteen, looking right out to the lake. So that's why it was all done. The pine trees that were on the right and everything on the right, mm-hmm. Herb was adamant about That's why the clubhouse is where it is. He was adamant about saving the trees and, and how it was going to be placed. And, and, and that's one thing that I think I was, like I told you, I was a friend of Herb's before I went out there. And I've learned to respect him as much as, as any other man other than Pete and my father. We, we were called one night into a meeting with, with her, and I want to say it was 5 o'clock, you know, after work, so 6, whatever. So Pete and I show up there, and, and Lisa, her secretary, says, says, guys, you can go in now. He's not done. He's just finishing up with his, his something on the hotel, but you can go in. So we go in and sit down, and Derek, I kid you not, we are there for another hour in 20, an hour and 25 minutes. And the subject was, and Herb, Herb is holding court. He's telling his, all his, his vice presidents and president and everything with the hotel and everything. He's explaining to them why the shade in this certain room had to be a certain color and to go with whatever color was in that room. And I'm, and I'm not exaggerating the time. He went over and I've, I've never in my life. And then, how, and then once again, Derek, I go back. How blessed was I to see, to see witness of such a successful man in the way he thinks? He was talking about he the was holding, holding court on the paint color, on the color of her shade in, the, in one of the rooms. <laughs> but but, you, and then, but but once again, you go up, you go up and stay in the American, stay in the American club. Go to the sports court. Go to all that stuff. It's all the eyes are dotted and the teeth are crossed. And that was her. That was her. So, anyways, Herb was very instrumental on the clubhouse actually at one time. And I don't know this, this story has probably never been told either. One time he was going to build a lighthouse. He was going to make the clubhouse a lighthouse. Really? Yep. Yep. Which, which he did, which been different. But once again, her, her has some different ideas, but he always goes, you know, he always ends up making the right idea. Right. But, but so that anyway, so that's on 18. That's kind of a little bit of history on 18. A lot of the trees, Nine, we knew, we always knew we never had a chance of seeing anything out of nine. So um, 18, and we always just kept on stretching it back as far as we could possibly make in that, in the, at that big green there. That at one time was going to be a double green as well, and, and uh, we just didn't do it. Mm-hmm. It's got enough going on right now. I mean, a, oh, to, to, to double green that would does, be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we just wanted nine something different because it was such a short hole. You know, it was just so, at least in, from what I recall, it was short, so we yeah. just made it a small, pretty undulation green, but yeah. 
you know, one of the holes that, that I think is really unique, you know, a lot of those holes out, out there at Whistling or the Ocean Course, or you go up and down the courses that Pete Dyes build, and there's certain whole concepts and patterns that, that he went back to over and over again. Why? Because they're successful. They work. They, they even go, you know, he didn't even create those. They go back to Donald Ross and Tillinghast. But, you know, you can see like, okay, you know, here's the par five that's going to bend slightly right off the tee. And then it's going to, when you get to the green, it's going to hook back left over some kind of hazard, you know, and, and here's right. the the classic uh, short par four where you kind of drive, but the green is sitting, bu- sitting behind some sort of obstacle or, or hill. So you have to kind of drive out to the right to get an angle at it. And, you know, you see these, these concepts, one hole out at, at Whistling Straits that to me, I, I, I wasn't able to identify any kind of, uh, corollary to is the 10th you know it's a really neat short par four totally exposed goes uphill bends left and then there's that center line bunker that just screws with you you know you've got to deal with that <laughs> yeah. take that on if you're really long you can just kind of fly it up toward the green but most people have to think about really hard about that and then you know the yeah. and then the green sits up at like in a skyline setting it's 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 a unique hole do you recall yeah. um seeing a version of that anywhere else that that you worked on no no, that's a very unique hole because um, that was all low. That was all built up, um, all just filled. It was just dumped and dumped and dumped there. It was actually, um, I would say, half of that fair, you know, really that whole area. If you look down at the bottom, that's what it was. It was all down at that elevation when we started. Hmm. Um, but we just, just dumped and, and, and it just kind of came to us or came to Pete, you know. Um, and that was one of the great thing about working with Pete. He would always let you. Um, and that's exactly it. I didn't think about it. it just not, that's why I love working with Pete because he would let you do stuff. He would say, listen, give me something to look at, go out there and throw, give me your best idea, put it together. And then I'll, I'll come look at it. You know? So that, that was to me. And I never thought about it right now, Derek, it's just priceless to be able to do that. Cause there's a lot of people that won't let you do that. And, and that was Pete and just much, much like the dozer operator that knew nothing about shaping golf greens. You know, even, even if I was a young, you know, 25 or 30 year old, at least, but I knew what he liked, I could at least get something started. And he, but he would never say, oh, that looks like shit. It was, he would always be, you know, well, he goes, all right, well, that, all right, I like that. Let's do this, this or that, you know, and that, and I guess that's the way he was with everybody he met. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why he was yeah. such a nice guy, but, but that's why, that's why I can tell you, I love him. I never thought about him now, but I, that's why I love working with him. Because we could create, we were creating as much as, as anybody out there. I've heard people say that he would say, "Give me something to look at." You know, yeah. he needs like a, you know, when you've got so many ideas in his mind, or he's doing, you know, he's so busy. Yeah, you need that starting point. He's like, "Give me a starting point. Give me something to look at, and then we can yeah. go from there." Yeah, give me the line. He would always say, "Give me the line." He goes, "I see this hole, you know, setting up right to left. The green sitting in there, left to right. You know, my." My favorite hole on Whistling Straits is number eleven. I don't know why. I, would just, I haven't. I just really like the way it. You know, for an average player, I would set up. You'd have to hit a good drive and to sit out at that first landing area and see how it kind of goes down and snakes around and goes up. And I don't know why that just always caught my eye. Yeah, it, it's it tough because good. that you know you're you're thinking about at some point you got to get you have to get the ball up to the green and you probably have to negotiate that fearsome oh, like, you know, yeah, 12 foot deep function. chasm in front of yeah. the green yeah to me it's that that is a more modern or updated version of number 16 at the ocean course yeah has a similar yes. flow 
and then the, there's that green side hazard, which is similar, but the one at Whistling Straits is even more ferocious. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I never looked at it that way, man. Yeah. yeah. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good hole with that. And, and then that Valley that you hit down into is, is kind of unique. It just blows my mind to think that you, you yeah. know, you're out there creating these shapes and these huge landforms without any kind of, maybe I should, maybe I should, well, I was going to say without any, you know, plans or grading plans or instructions, you're just moving shit around, right? And then figuring out how to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, we we, we know we wanted to get all that up in the air. So we're building up the 11th fairway. And then what happens was, is that, and then you're, you're working on 11 parallels, 16. So you're kind of, you've got some mounds on 16, but then you actually end up creating a little bit of a, a hole in between those two holes. And that's how they got that way. And, you know, some of the, sometimes it, 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 it comes to, you can't, you know, it's not always, always planned it exactly that way. Sometimes it'll all come as you're moving, when you move that kind of dirt, it just, sometimes things just appear. Uh-huh. And that's what kind of happened in between those two holes. That's why it's kind of low, just a different, it's different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're up so high 11, you can see all that there. And, it makes wow. me wonder how a course like that would have turned out if, the architect would have actually executed or had made, you know, a full grading plan with elevations on it and handed it off to a contractor to try, to try to build. No, and, no, no. you know, would that, would that, could you ever possibly pull it off in the same way? No, not in my, but not, not for Pete's like it because anytime, and Pete talked about this many times, he goes, anytime you give it off to a contractor, not to say that they would do a bad job, but you could get in 10 different contractors and you'd have 10 different golf course. Mm-hmm. It was everybody. And of course, yes, if you had the exact, you know, cuts and fills and all that, I guess you'd have to be pretty close, but, but Pete didn't like that because the golf course evolves, you know, it always evolves, you know, some of these holes, you know, we, we, we didn't have a clue and some of them just kind of fell into our lap, you know, and, and it just, just happened that way. And, and, you know, and that was, and I think anybody that ever had Pete design a golf course for him understood that and, and, and let him um, do that, you know, and then that's why he let us, you know, do it, you know, do the work for him because we could kind of understand it and get it going. And when um, we just wanted the best for the owner, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, that's what we wanted. And Pete, I, all the years I was with him, I never know. I never known anywhere where he um, had to let a contractor do it. Not to say that he didn't, because mm-hmm. I think maybe later on in his years, he may have done that. But um, I know when I was with him, he, he just, he didn't want to do that at all, um, which was. That's what made him who he was. Absolutely. Because, he, you know, things would just come. It would just, you know, I'm trying to think of a whole lot on whistling where that, or any of them, you know, and I, I nothing did. But there were just times where we'd be cutting and all of a sudden, you know, or we'd leave. I guess three might have been one of it, too. We, we, we just kind of worked our way around it and we weren't sure what we wanted to do. And then, all you know, we we're cutting from somewhere and building, putting all the material up on number six. And, and, and seven was down so low. And then that, that kind of kind of just kind of fell into place. But. One of the interesting things about the green shapes, especially the holes that kind of hang out, the greens that hang out over the water, even if they're not on the water, they sort of have the impression that they do. A lot of the slopes on those greens kind of push balls out to the edge. You know, they start inland and you can feed balls off 
sort of right or left slopes in order to get at pins that look like they're way out in some dangerous part of the green. And I'm sure Absolutely. that I'm sure that was intentional. Oh yeah, no. Thinking about always... yeah, how people are going to play these golf holes. You, you know, you don't if the if the pins hanging out on the on the edge, you know, that's a terrifying shot. So you're going to kind of hedge your, you know, play safe and hedge your way to the opposite side. But then there are slopes that can often push the ball back toward the flag. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 17 was a good example of that. Mm -hmm. You know, that there, there's, at least there was, I mean, I'm just going, like I said, I haven't seen it in 15 years or so. Um, but yeah, that bunker on the ride, that slope ties right into the green. That, that uh, has a tendency of doing that. Yeah. Kicking it over to that depending on where you hit it on that, that, that knob, but it'll push it back over to the, um, to the left hand side mm -hmm. of the green out to that Sunday pin placement, I guess. What an interesting feature, you know, you would expect yeah. to have a recessed bunker in that place. And yet here's this volcano raised eyeball thing. That's yep. <laughs> looking back at you at the T. Yeah. Yeah. And then some of that was too, you know, um, we were trying to get up. So, because we didn't want to see, we didn't want to be, we, um, standing on 17 T and looking at 18 T's. You want to see them? So, yeah, that's why we put some of that stuff up. I, again, I'm going off the top of my head. I can't remember. I believe that does I believe you can't see that from there, but I'm not a hundred percent. Tell me about, uh, before we close up here, but tell me about the, the bunkers. I know my, uh, my predecessor at golf digest architecture editor, Ron Witten, counted every bunker out there twice he did it in 2010 and 2015 and the last time in 2015 when he counted them there were 1012 bunkers at the whistling straits when you were yeah. did i mean how were those how the hell do you build that many bunkers a lot of them are just kind of scoops um that you know you're oh, not that's in there. exactly what it was it was like playing in a sandbox made out of clay <laughs> so so we did all and you got to understand that 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 herb um like I said, he sent me to Scotland Nine. He goes, I want a league style golf course. So, um, so everything that we, all our cuts were out of that material was all clay. So that's all sitting up on everywhere. And we just wanted to make it look like it was all done on a, it was all sand. So that's why the more we, we, everywhere we, uh, could, we just put bunkers. We just had a guy and that's what we did. And every one of those are drained. Every one of them, you know, have, have, proper drainage to it because we knew we get some big storms together. So we have put, put a tremendous amount of drainage in that project, but yeah. So it didn't matter how far off it was. And I can't remember the hole. I might be 15, but there's several of those holes. You'll be standing up there and you'll see something that has a bunker. It's a bunker that has absolutely nothing to do with anything, but, but it makes, it gives you the feel that you're, you're on playing in, in on a links, yeah. you know, through links, style golf course and the, the, the link yeah, like when, you, when you look to like the left of 10 you know you're looking over toward the irish course this huge embankment that's 100 that's right, yards that's away right. and there's bunkers going all the way up the side of it that's right yeah was the, was the entire yeah. site sand capped no that's what i'm telling you it was just in those bunkers so you just brought in the sand like on the because the reason being is that we needed we needed the clay to grow the fescue it, the fescue did so, so much better uh-huh so we, yeah, so we hydro seeded it, and then we put down uh, curlix matting. Yep, and every one of those bunkers. Yeah, and then just trucked in the sand just for the just for all one thousand bunkers. Oh no, I have a picture of that too. There, we we did it in the winter time because we brought in uh, couple two hundred and fifty thousand cubic yards of sand. I want to say from a local farm, 
and they dumped it. And we actually had, um, not 18 wheelers, but, uh, 12, you know, the 15 wheelers that haul the 25 cubic yards or cubic tons. And, um, they were actually, we made a mountain out of it and they would drive all the way up to the top of it and dump and then drive back down. Yeah. Wow. My gosh, you're bringing, you're bringing back an awful lot of memories here. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, this is one of those, I'm sure you worked on oh. golf courses that were a lot more straightforward than whistling straights. I think there's a lot oh. of material to, well, to draw from here. Yeah, it's just a once in a lifetime. And they're tending to do it with somebody like her. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, to answer your question, yeah, all those. So, they're, they're, so it's a picture of a sandbox made of clay, and in every pocket, we brought in the sand to make it look like it was. You know, it had been there forever. You know, Herb, Herb, the big one was Herb was Bally Bunyan. Herb loved Bally Bunyan. Mm-hmm. He goes, Michael, if you can get it close to that look, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have done, you, you, we'll, you will have done your job. But I think, you know, we were there six years just on the straights course, you know, because we had you know, all the dirt we moved and you could only do it during certain times of the year, obviously. Um, do you remember what year you first walked the site with Pete? I want to say 94 because and then the reason I say that is because I look at these pictures and they all say 95. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking that's pretty close. So you kind of, you got shovels in the ground maybe around in 95. Yeah. Was it, I guess, was it open only three, four years ahead of the 2004? Does that, I don't. I think it opened in, in like maybe some preview play in 98 and full first full season yeah. was 99. Yeah. I think you're right. So, so we had a open at ninety. We started at ninety four, and then because it was, yeah, it was four or five. It might have been ninety three uh-huh. before we got that close. But I know we were there. We had four summers, but yeah. yeah, it was wow. What was what was Pete's opinion of the course? I mean, I, I don't get the impression that he's he was uh, somebody that was overly sentimental about his projects because he kept going back and, and tweaking them over and over again. But yeah. you know, did did he have a sense that this one was particularly special? Maybe just because of the the volume of work was so rare. I think it was special, yes. And but what made it even more special was was Herb. Mm-hmm. You know, his demands. He demanded, you know, that we. Um, make it as, as true a links course as we possibly can. Yeah, it was because, and he always said, Herb, you know, was a man's man, you know, and he did get along. And, you know, when you have someone, an owner that's just so that involved and that excited about a project, you can't help it. Be excited about it. Um, but he always was very modest. Um, we were down in the Dominican one time and, and just before the 91 Ryder Cup and the 91 PGA and some lady said, oh, you must be really excited. You got, you know, PGA and the Ryder Cup coming. He goes, yeah. Yeah. He says 18 holes in a driving range. It's <laughs> <laughs> all it is. Or, or, his, or his big one was Derek. He'd say, yep, yep, that and 50 cents would give me a cup of coffee at McDonald's. <laughs> it's that uh, Midwestern modesty. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Well, where, do, where, does, the, where does Whistling Straits rank for you just from a your relationship and the experience working with Herb Kohler aside, just as a, as a construction project, where does that rate in the, the courses that you've built? Yeah. It has to be number one. It just, without a doubt, there's just too many, there's just so many things. And mm-hmm. I, I, for, 
I forgot about half the stuff until I started talking to you there. <laughs> well, good. I'm but glad we no, got to pull that out. Yeah. Gosh, it is. It's no. It's a, it's a, um, and, but, you know, and I never thought of, once again, until I was just talking with you, but it's almost tough to go to another project after something like whistling. I remember it now. The first couple of years, yeah. You go somewhere else and it's like, you're just not doing anything. Not that that was true, but it was like, you know, it, it took a There's while. There's a lot less to do, right? Yeah. And it's just nice. You get so caught up, you know, it's so cool to be doing all those, those big projects and constantly moving and creating. And, and it's, it's now, there is a flip side to all this though, too. You know, it's, it's when you're, when you're putting in those hours, it's not conducive to raising a family. I can imagine. You know, and there's, there are, and and it's, and, and now that I'm older and working with, with somebody that used to work for Pete who has that passion, um, and I'm really enjoying this job, but I look at it from different eyes now and I can spend more time, but it's, yeah, when, when, when you're young, you, you can't, it, it was really hard. And there was a few of us that worked with Pete that, you know, had to take some time away because, you know, the family life, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. And then not for that, not for him, but not, you know, I, I wouldn't do anything different, but you're still, you know, you just have that passion to be out there and doing it and, and and um, sometimes you can get too wrapped up in it. And I guess it's like anything. I guess it's like sports. I guess it's like artists, you know, but that's how I felt. <laughs> I was going to work with Pete and it was just, but it's tough. Wasn't you mentioned, to yeah, you mentioned the job that you're working on now. Is that the, uh, and, and it was, is, can you talk about that? Is it the Corn Crenshaw project? Is that the uh, yes. MacArthur second course? Yes, yes. And my gosh, so I had never met Bill or Ben. I met Ben way back when I actually, Ben was out at, at Fairway Oaks. And um, I was out walking with Bill and, 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 and I almost got teary eyed out there because it was like walking with Pete again. Mm-hmm. Very similar, very same mannerisms, just a sweetheart of a human being, both of them. And uh, this project here is, I mean, the people at MacArthur are awesome, the GM. The superintendent, it's just one of those, and once again, this is it's just incredible. This project in particular is just special because there are just so many special people involved, you know, people that are passionate about it. And then, and it, um, it's nice to be around that again. It's been a while since I, I've been around it personally. And it just, it just was really cool to be out there. With, and I never realized, but we got talking with Bill and he, he, he went down to the Dominican Republic. He's in the early 70s. Didn't stay for any length of period of time, but yeah, he just, um, that was my favorite, favorite memories of all time. We'd be sitting at their house at Costa Verde. He was overlooking the, the seventh hole of the teeth of the dog. And we would just have breakfast, just the three of us and talk about whatever. And they went, so this one time they, I was down and I'm taking care of their house and I'm just getting worn out. And every time she comes into town, she's complaining on I messed this up. I messed that up, which I learned to appreciate because you did call, you knew where you stood with Alice. So we're down there and I can't remember. I think it was, there was a bunch of kittens running around and I took the kittens and got them downtown, but I forgot to get the mother and the mother had milk and she was kept Alice up all night. Oh my God. Was she mad? So I came in that next morning and she's just getting so mad at me. And, and then I just, you know, I'm just beat up. So we're walking out to the golf 
going, uh, leaving the house, going out to the site. And I'm just, you know, beat up this one day and I'm shaking my head. And I'm like, like, I'll never figure this out. (laughs) And we get in the truck and he elbows me and he just starts laughing. I said, what the the hell's so funny? He goes, he goes, I love having you around. I said, well, that's what's good. He goes, my wife is so pissed off at you. She doesn't have any time to think about what I'm doing wrong. (laughs) It was a classic piece. You're fucking things up so bad, my wife doesn't have time to think about what I'm doing wrong. (laughs) You know, it's always amazing, no matter how much you think you know about something or someone, there's always someone else who has a stronger connection and has more information to give. Mike O'Connor knew Pete and Alice died for 35 years and not just knew them, but was very close to them. And in this conversation today, we probably only scratched the surface on the amount of information that he can add to the scholarship that we know of Die and, and how Pete Die worked and how he and Alice operated and specifically about what we know about Whistling Straight. You remember the part in the story early on when Mike talked about how early in the construction schedule he was pulled in by the quote-unquote bean counters and uh, they were questioning his time cards specifically questioning how many hours he was working as if he was he was padding his hours uh, when in reality they had no idea how hard it is to build golf courses and or how much time and energy people who are passionate about what they do pour into their jobs one thing he told me off the microphone afterwards You'll remember how shaken up he was uh, during the Inquisition to have his character questioned and his integrity questioned. And then before Herb Kohler came in and set the matter straight, but he walked out of that room uh, hurt and, and embarrassed and questioning. And this is something he remembered later and he told me. He said, Pete Dye was there and walked up to Mike and put both of his hands on Mike's head and looked him in the eye and said very carefully, he said, they'll never understand they'll never understand. And that's something that Mike's kind of carried with him. And I think uh, for those of you, especially those of you who are listening, who are in the golf design business one way or another, and are passionate about what you do and and give so much of your life to the job and spend hours and hours on site. uh, I'm not like that. I can't obviously count myself among you, but uh, I think you'll understand what that means. And Mike did and Pete knew it. And and what a gracious thing for Pete to do. And a few simple words can convey so much. And um, it's another reason why Pete Dye inspired so much loyalty and continues to this day to almost everybody he ever came in contact with. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation and and took as much away from it as I did. Thanks to Mike O'Connor for sharing all that with us. Um, I feel grateful that uh, I was put in touch with him uh, and that I know him now. And uh, I can't wait to spend more time with him. He's got more stories about Pete and and every other job and probably Whistling Straits too. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you shared it with somebody. Uh, Tell your friends, forward it, uh, post it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you can. If, If you thought this was a good one, pass it along. If you're not a subscriber, go to wherever you download your favorite podcast and subscribe to Feed the Ball. While you're there, leave a star rating and some comments if you would. I enjoy reading those. If you're on social media, as you know, or if you don't know, I'm at Feed the Ball on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to see more of Whistling Straits, you can go to golfdigest.com and search every hole at Whistling Straits. That's the latest in our outstanding drone video series. I'd like to thank the Sundogs, as always, for the music. And until... We all get together to do this again. Adios.